In April of 2020, at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, the Abu Dhabi Investment Office announced a $150 million investment to attract leading agricultural technology firms to the region. Nearly three years later, that investment is bearing fruit. AeroFarms, a leading U.S. ag tech firm, opened up an R&D center outside of Abu Dhabi last week. You're listening to Business Extra, coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm your host, Kelsey Warner. Mustafa Al-Rawi, my usual co-host, is out this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe wherever you get your audio content. There is growing concern over how our food is produced. Agriculture technology, aka ag tech, with its robots, genetically modified seeds, different ways of lighting and drone technology, to name just a few, is stepping in to address some of these issues. It's a $500 billion industry, at least it was as of 2021. And that figure is set to double to over a trillion dollars by 2030. To talk about opportunities in the industry, as well as the challenges of scaling, we're joined this week by David Rosenberg, the chief executive and co-founder of U.S.-based ag tech firm AeroFarms. Hi, David. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. A pleasure being here. Welcome to Abu Dhabi. I always like coming back. (laughs) So you're back. Back in April of 2020, Abu Dhabi Investment Office made a commitment to four different ag tech companies for $150 million. You were part of that investment. And the commitment you made to audio then was that you would come and build an R&D center right here in our backyard in Musafa. Uh, And yesterday you actually opened that facility. So can you just talk to me a bit about the last couple of years, the journey to opening the R&D center and just introduce Business Extra to what AeroFarms is and what, what you guys do? So starting with that, AeroFarms is a vertical farming company. We define vertical farming as growing level upon level of growing. We don't use sun, we don't use soil. So instead of sun, we use LEDs, light-emitting diodes. So we have that every about approximately three feet. You have another row of lights. And instead of soil, we use different growth media. For leafy greens, we use a cloth growth media. And it, we are able to stack it and put it in in warehouses as opposed to greenhouses. Greenhouses could get very hot at different parts of the year. And often the amount of water used to uh, cool down is more than the water used for irrigation. So um, some parts of the world, greenhouses make a lot of sense. Some parts of the world, field farming makes a lot of sense for some crops. Some parts of the world, vertical farming makes a lot of sense for certain parts of crops. We think in the Middle East, vertical farming has strong applicability in leafy greens and more and more crops as we become more familiar with more and more crops. Yeah, so AeroFarm's got its start in New Jersey. So the idea that you had back in, was it 2014 when you started AeroFarms? Uh, 2011, and my co-founder was um, doing some aeroponic growing even before that. Okay. But the idea then really was that vertical farming was going to be like the next gen solution to kind of some of our food supply woes. And so warehousing agriculture was, was, a, new, was a new thing. And it's kind of not so new anymore. You certainly have competitors here in the region too. Um, but you're here now. And so what's the intention with the R&D Center in Abu Dhabi? What do you want to get out of it? Uh, sure. Funny story. So back then, the places that were using indoor grower were in the U.S. called the hobbyists. Hobbyists is a euphemism for people that were growing cannabis in their basements. <laughs> so that was the origins of the technology. And as you could imagine, those mom and pop shops weren't the most technologically sophisticated. So there wasn't a lot to borrow. And I remember when we first set up shop, you could sort of see a spike in energy loads 
which is how police would identify the hobbyists. We had to let our local enforcement agencies know this is what we're doing and we're not those other We're growing something else. We're growing something else. But but to your point, the vision was always how do we have broad impact in the agriculture sector? One of the things we like about leafy greens is, and the value proposition of vertical farming. So in field farming, there's three to five crop turns a year. The way we grow, we have 25 to 90 crop turns a year. So think about the learning that goes on. And crop turns just means from seed to harvest. And when you're so so seed to harvest, three to five. Plant it, you grow it, you pick it. Right. Three to five times a year in the field, Mm -hmm. 25 to 90 times the way we do it vertically. Plus, if you think of the stacking, we just built a facility that's 14 levels high. So the productivity could be 100 to 300 plus times the productivity per square meter, square whatever. Mm -hmm. So the idea was take these learnings and apply them in other areas of agriculture. We've grown 550 different types of plants. Today, we commercialize 11 of them. That tells you two things. One, it's really hard. And two, our ambitions are really high. So how do we continue to grow new plants, reduce capital cost, operating costs, and sell great product? And in the U.S., you're on shelves in Whole Foods, which is owned by Amazon. You're sold by Walmart, which is the world's biggest retailer. How did you actually get those partnerships? How did you... So I know that's probably yeah. a much bigger story than we have time for, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. you're, a, you're a vertical farming company with, yeah. with major retail presence. Yeah, d- two points. One is the way we're leading Aero Farms is don't just grow a plant, but grow a distinctive plant. So great taste textures. And that's, it, it's hard to appreciate, but that's what we do. And that's why we just have been the first partner with Whole Foods to roll out nationally. So if you think of vertical farming, when I started the company, it was about disintegrating the supply chain. There's a lot of waste in the supply chain. As an entrepreneur, you look where the points, the pain points are. So 60% of the product that comes off a farm would spoil. That screams disruption. So from a technology enthusiast and entrepreneur, let's go where the pain point is. Screams pain. Now, we, so we used to have on our label lead with like local food production. That means like healthier food, fresher food, et cetera. What we realized is people were buying our product not because it was local. Yes, that was a benefit, but more because it tastes better. So there's a heavy emphasis, focus on taste, texture, nutritional value, color, size, all of those attributes. Are you able to look at that with more specific? I mean, when you think about what's grown on a farm, it's grown through mostly free natural resources like sunlight, water, air. And you're bringing it into an environment where you're relying on electricity, you're relying on, you know, sheets of plastic, metal, all sorts of things that, that one does not think of when they think of farming. And so you're, you're sort of supplanting one, one thing with another. I think I know what you're getting at. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're talking about, yeah, you're, you're talking about optimizing flavor and kind of really controlling the crop in a way. Like, how did, how was that better than what we had before? So my co-founder wrote a white paper on how the sun isn't free. So water certainly isn't free. It might come down, it's free, but once you have to move it, there's a real cost for that. Most fresh water, by the way, goes to agriculture. Most fresh water contamination comes from agriculture. You want to solve water, you need to solve agriculture. We grow a plant using a, less than 5% of the water, typically, for the growing. And that's because there's technology in taking out algae, filtration, putting, keeping it, the pumping and the, and the plumbing in closed loop cycles. How do we take what a plant transpires 
dehumidify and put right back into a closed loop system. From a lighting standpoint, if a plant wants, and sorry to use Fahrenheit, between 70 and 73 degrees Fahrenheit, a tight range, and in a, the field or in a greenhouse, it fluctuates between 60 and 110 degrees, then that plant is only in its ideal zone for several hours of the day. Imagine in vertical farms, we could at a touch of a keystroke, get to the plant exactly what it wants, when it wants it. In our facility in Abu Dhabi, we built it as a research facility so we could fluctuate the temperature and the humidity at a touch of a keystroke to more specificity and a much wider range. So here, it's to test new plants, go through accelerated innovation cycles with the goal of bringing these products to market. So in terms of what the outcomes are for the research center, what are you looking for? What are you looking to find? It's accelerate the innovation cycles, bring more products to market. So both for leafy greens. So we are, uh, we are thrilled at this ag tech innovation summit. What I'm told is the largest ag tech conference in the world this year. So we have about 250 people in attendance in person, about a, over a thousand virtual attendants, and people came in from 60 countries to attend this. And there are big players from lots of different areas of technology collaborating together on the AeroFarms platform and within this ecosystem that could have broader applicability to the broader agriculture space. And an example is with U.S. Department of Agriculture, there's an organization FAR, FFAR, Future Food Agriculture Research, and they assigned us as the principal investigator for the PIP program, Precision Indoor Plants program, where different companies are trying new varietals, new varieties, new genetics on our platform. And if you think about, you have a new variety, if you put it in the field or, or in a greenhouse, sometimes it's too hot, sometimes it's too cold. There might be differences in the field of wet and dry, and you're not really isolating the variable you want to test, which is that varietal. So here we could level set at a touch of a keystroke every environmental aspect. So we're just trying the one variable we want to test, which is the variety, and seeing how it grows. We could take that further and we could say, hey, how would that variety grow in the field in Abu Dhabi or someplace like that? And we could, at a touch of a keystroke, make it drier, make it hotter, yeah, not make very it more well, humid. Would be, would be the answer. But the key is you test 30 of those that are slightly different and you're more likely to accelerate the innovation cycles to drive success. And you will eventually identify a fruit or vegetable that would actually grow in the conditions that you've you defined. You can. Right now we're focused, I mean, that might not be the priority. We're, we're focused on different varieties in vertical farms, but the point is it could have broader applicability and that's what we're doing here at the AgTech Innovation Conference. That's what we're doing at Announce in the World, our R&D center, is we're open to collaborate. We want partners. We signed a partnership with Salal yesterday. We signed one with NYU Abu yeah. Dhabi today. So and Salal is an ADQ-owned ag tech company here in Abu Dhabi, and they develop tech tools and also do capacity building with local farmers. And there's over 24,000 farmers here in Abu Dhabi alone. Um, and they need a lot of help. Only 5% of the UAE's land is arable. Uh, there's a huge import burden. MENA imports 50% of its food. In the Gulf, it's even higher than that. So partnerships are urgent and they're needed. So what are you actually doing with Salal? What are you doing with NYU? So with Salal, it's how we could work together to benefit those field farmers 
what are the crops that we could grow that can be beneficial to those field farmers. With NYU, it has a few areas of focus, but the one I'll talk about is the airflow. And this is both illustrative of experimentation and digitally mapping. So a plant has different amounts of airflow and those varying, varying amounts at varying maturities impact plant growth. If you think of a baby, a baby is more sensitive, a human baby is more sensitive to the environment than a teenager and is going to react differently than an adult and react differently than the elderly. Sometimes you're stronger and you could withstand some of that external pressure. Like when you're a baby, you're thin skinner, you might be more susceptible to sunlight things. Not too dissimilar are plants. So a plant, the amount of airflow is different than a plant wants when it's a baby versus a teenage versus mature. And the direction of where the airflow hits the plant is different. How do we, again, isolate a variable, test that one variable, airflow, from direction at different maturities? If you think of all the different levers, the abiotic stresses or the environmental stresses, and the permeation of the combination of all these abiotic stresses, the ways to grow plants differently and understand cause and effect is very broad. Our understanding of plant biology is minuscule. I'm, I'm constantly surprised. I, I built a nanotech company as a serial entrepreneur. I grew up in the Bronx. There's not a lot of farmland in the Bronx, but the world is relatively ignorant on what makes a plant grow, on plant biology. I would argue AeroFarms is leading the way to sort of unlock this mystery. But this ignorance is sort of shocking when you think about the urgency of the issue and food security, water security being kind of the existential threats of the climate change crisis we're now in. Do you think we're actually rising to the moment? Are we, are we too late? Are we so nascent that this is actually, this is a real risk? Well, first of all, it's like the tools, the technology enablers that allow for vertical farming to happen are now. Mm -hmm. So it really, the catalyst was LED, a light emitting diode, and it's, I mean, really a microchip. So as the cost structure of a microchip went down, the cost structure of an LED went down, what's called the attenuation, which is LED speak for depreciation went up, meaning a, a luminaire lasts longer. And that is what got me into vertical farming is just reading something called Heitz's Law and the continued evolution of an LED. And that enabled vertical farming to happen. So that's relatively new. Just think of how many more LEDs are in your home now mm -hmm. versus five years ago. So with controlled environment ag is really the opportunity to unlock this mystery of plant biology. So we're like the Rosetta Stone of trying to like figure all these features out. Run a ton of combinations yeah. until you get there. So it's not that the world's been too slow. The world hasn't had the tools. So we're Now we have the tools. Points. And this is when we build our aero farms, it's as a platform. When we invite a thousand people to the AgTech Innovation Center and our R&D Center in Abu Dhabi, it's to say, we're here to partner with you arms wide open. Let's figure out. There are a lot of challenges. We have to work in a holistic way. What's appropriate for the field? What's appropriate for greenhouse? What's appropriate for vertical farming? There are different plants that are appropriate at different times of the year for these different platforms. And how do we work together? How do we take the learnings from one, apply it to the other so we're not reinventing the wheel? And I'm an optimist. There's going to be wonderful solutions. We need urgency. There's opportunities for public-private partnerships. We need to go fast. We need to watch out for unintended consequences of our policy leaders. We need to educate them. 
and how these new technologies evolve. So you're a serial entrepreneur. This is not your first rodeo. And 2023 is sort of, a, um, we're in an odd time. We're sort of post-pandemic euphoria where you know tech stocks were way overvalued. There's recession, inflation, things going on in the wider market. You, Aerofarm, specifically scrapped a SPAC deal back in 2021. How would you characterize 2023? Is it a good year to be investing in R&D? Yes, it's always there's always a good year to invest in R&D. It's not there's no if you think of R&D, it's not all of a sudden there should be a pause. I'd say it's a wonderful time where you have all these technology enablers whether it's LED robotics, automation, AI, synthetic biology, precision fermentation. There's a lot of new technology to really increase innovation cycles. From a financing standpoint, and part of your question was about financing, there's, in, in some parts of the world, investing is going slower. I'd say U.S.'s investment is going slower. There is a lot of money into the venture capital system. So people are sitting on a lot of money, one, but at the same time, their portfolios, there was an overinvestment in some of their portfolios or having a, a realization that they raise money and maybe they're technology or opportunity wasn't as bold as people thought as people rushed into these technologies. So there's a right sizing to a certain extent. And at the same time, you have parts of the world where people are leaning in. As an entrepreneur and an innovator, I want to go to places where people are leaning in and not stopping. So the reason I came to Abu Dhabi is because there's a boldness of being an early stage adopter. And if you think of, there's one of my um, favorite books is Crossing the Chasm by Benjamin Moore. And he talked about how when you start, you want to go with early adopters before you hit mainstream. Early adopters typically adopt because there's high pain or high willingness to move. Here in Abu Dhabi, I would say you have high political will, willingness to move, and high pain, meaning there's not a lot of natural arable land, fresh water, so there's a sense of urgency for that reason, but you have this confluence of both. And that, as an innovator, as an entrepreneur, makes me lean in and want to be with early adopters. Look at all the beautiful buildings around, cutting-edge architecture. In the same way, there's a willingness to embrace new technologies and be bold, try first ones, as opposed to being a laggard and be the 10th one. I want to go to places where people are willing to be the first or second. And it's not enough this year to have... Um kind of unproven or non-specific technology. VCs, investors are much more savvy to identifying. It sounds like the five to 10 years ago when it was frothier, there was more of a, here, just just go try it. Like now, is there, is there greater discipline in the market? Do you uh, need yeah, to? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, there's always venture speak, there's series A, B, C, and so yeah. forth. So there's always a market for series A, B, C, and I think good companies are still getting funded, but there's, like there was a lot of overinvesting, and I mean, we, I don't know if you want the conversation to go there, but companies like SoftBank started investing big portions of money without arguably the due diligence that was appropriate, and uh, other entities followed suit. And parties that were traditional private equity started moving to venture, but they didn't really understand, I, I would argue, how to invest in venture, which you can't just look thematically. You also have to have strong due diligence on the companies themselves. And I would argue that process was a little rougher than it arguably should have. And they invested in a lot of companies that aren't going to work. And here in vertical farming, so we are arguably the pioneer of the industry, the leader of the industry, certainly one of them. 
And people aspirationally, they hear what I'm saying as leader of Aero Farms, they see what Aero Farms doing, it inspires them. Well-intentioned people say, hey, I want to do that too. I could do that too. They don't really understand how hard it is, all the complexity that it takes, how the systems don't scale. You build a small one the size of this room, it doesn't necessarily translate to something the size of this building. So they rush in and they go under. And in vertical farming, I've said for years, it's not an industry where there's an obvious networking effect. Networking effect like an Airbnb, an Uber, uh, Facebook, where you have one winner and everyone else is a loser. You could have a few winners. There are going to be a lot of losers. And you're seeing it now. In the last five months, I've had probably five different companies come to us at Aerofarms asking us to buy them. And when we unpack the technology, it's just there are some fundamental flaws where I wouldn't want to touch it. And it's not an obvious roll-up situation where you buy a lot of crappy vertical farming companies and all of a sudden you have a good one. You have a lot of crap that you have to kind of figure out what to do with. So the industry though is very strong. The the fundamentals of the industry, the technology enablers like the movement of a light emitting diode is going in the right direction. You look at the unfortunate macro issues environmentally, depletion of arable land. The world's lost 30% of its arable land in the last 40 years. You look at depletion of fresh water. You look at population growth. You look at urbanization. There's all, look at how many people are moving to the UAE. So we have to solve these problems and the trends are moving in the direction that suggests this is going to be a massive industry, but it's also important to look at the fundamentals of a company. I want to ask you, essentially what you're doing in some ways is electrifying agriculture in the same way that Tesla's electrifying mobility. Like our move to electrification, is the renewables industry ready to support the electrification of agriculture at the scale that you're talking about? Two, two things. One is I think the Tesla analogy has some good commonalities in the sense of like if you unpack tesla you, arguably the core technology is the battery and and now tesla and every single other car company in the world now because most of them are moving towards electrification but yes sorry continue but there's like a core element of batteries and then there's a lot of system integration around batteries then it's like ai and now a lot of system integration around that so at aero farms like our core system is the growing but there's a lot of ancillary equipment around growing that you gotta nail, seeding, harvesting, cleaning, packaging, seed, like seed varieties. There's all this area. Again, back to the Ag Tech Innovation Summit here, it's about bringing this ecosystem together to innovate faster. The energy component's really important. Now to the other part of your question, when you look at energy, it's energy generation. Where is it used? And ideally it's renewable. We don't say no to any particular energy, but we have a weighted system. For example, Renewable energy has a higher rating than fossil fuels. Within fossil fuels, then there's natural gas, there's uh, ga there's oil, there's coal. Each one of those has a different environmental footprint, and that, again, correlates with the weighting system. The other side of that is energy usage. Within energy usage, it's predominantly lighting, then HVAC, heating and cooling, dehumidification, and then pumping. Within each of those, we say, how do we reduce our footprint? An example is lighting. The big energy load in lighting is yellow spectrum. When you touch a light and it feels hot, that's typically the yellow spectrum that feels hot. Then you look at photosynthesis. What drives, what spectrum drives photosynthesis? And it could change for different plants. In leafy greens, it's predominantly red and blue. Red and blue spectrum are typically cooler spectrum. So the energy load on red and blue is cooler. So how do you strip off yellow spectrum and emphasize red and blue? Green spectrum, here's a fun fact. <laughs> when you look at a plant that looks green, it's not actually green. It reflects green spectrum. 
If you take out the green spectrum, you see they're actually black. So here, how do you take off the point of spectrum that's not conducive to photosynthesis? And how do you amplify the spectrum that are always to reduce the capital cost of the luminaire, improve the attenuation or the service life of the luminaire, and reduce the energy load of that luminaire? So you are paying attention to energy load. You are paying attention to energy source. Have to. It's one of it's the one of the larger parts of our cost of goods sold. But you are not 100% renewable. You're kind of electrification agnostic at this point. No, no. I wouldn't say agnostic. Like I said, there's a, there's weighted, a, weighting, there's a weighting to yeah. it. We don't say no to anything. We right. say, okay, how does it impact our model? And this is what we want. Our goal is renewable energy. Yep. You don't get there in a day. You state your goal and you have milestones to get there and you track it moving to these directions. Yet. And it's not that we can't be there. Like if it, in the right circumstances, we'll go 100% renewable. Yep. And we seek those right circumstances. That is our goal. But there are other opportunities as we get to that goal. David, welcome to Abu Dhabi. I wish you luck. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great to be here and great to be back always. That's all for today. All that's left is to thank my production team and you for listening. See you next week.